This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 93.7 FM or download the Fan app. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves' 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. the final hour of Chuck and Chernoff. Welcome, everybody. Mike, Chuck, Westy. Tuesday, 680 The Fan, home of the 2024 Chili Dip Open at Bears Best Atlanta. The 680 The Fan, Bears Best Atlanta Chili Dip Open, benefiting First Tee Metro Atlanta has reached capacity and is sold out. Thanks to our great sponsors and dedicated golfers, we will once again be donating funds to the First Tee Metro Atlanta, building game changers by empowering kids and teens through golf. Thanks to these great Chili Dip Open sponsors, Bears Best, Hennessy Automotive Companies, and Kroger. Uh, We mentioned that Cellini and Domino down there at spring training. Some great interviews they've had all week long and will continue to do the rest of the week. Thank you. You're absolutely welcome, Chris. Uh, one of the guys they talked to today, Hurston Waldrip, former Florida Gator. Really good-looking prospect who's got a chance to do some terrific things for the squad and the staff in 2024. They started off and asked him how he started throwing the splitter. I was watching, uh, I was on Instagram one day, watching Pitching Ninja, watched uh, Kevin Gosman's grip, went to YouTube, watched the whole video, figured out how he had, or he learned how to throw it. Went out in catch play that day, and that was the day of my bullpen, um, which was a Wednesday, and then threw it twice or threw it like a couple times in the bullpen. And, and what does a coach say at that point, or what does a catcher say? What the hell is this? It, the catcher, yeah, the catcher was a little shocked. He yeah. was like, "You you don't even throw a changeup. Like, why are you going to throw a splitter?" I'm like, "Well, my stats against lefties are unreal. Like, they they're almost like." batting 500 off of me like we got to figure out how to get a lefty out because they're going to go one through nine lefties and we're never going to get any outs and uh at the time I was fastball slider and so I, I'd went a whole season throwing two pitches as a starter and so 
at college. It'll work for a while, and then, um, you know, obviously they'll catch on to it and uh, learn how to throw the splitter and then comes out to be the best pitch. Turns out Waldrop has also always been a Braves fan. Oh, it's been Braves gear since the day I was born. As long as I can oh, that remember, was easy. Then. As long as I can remember, yeah. I've, I've been a Braves fan. That was a uh, that was pretty cool. How long can you remember? What are we talking about? Like, what do you remember being a kid about the Braves? I remember playing travel ball, and all I ever wanted to do was be on the Braves, and then uh, have a have a baseball signed by Skip Carey in my room that I I think I was like four or five when I got it signed. I have another uh, you know another baseball can't remember the guy's name I, I was so young I don't remember the guy's name who signed it but I mean everything that I've ever known about baseball has been the Atlanta Braves started his college career at Southern Miss transferred to Florida wound up being a uh, first round draft pick of the Atlanta Braves in 2023 and a young man I think we're gonna see and hear a lot about this year there's a chance like Russ Ortiz is the guy he can't remember who it was <laughs> Of all the names, it's a, it's a contemporary. That's like it's a, it's a, it's a relatively recent name. Yeah. Or as Cullen said, maybe it was Greg Maddox. Yeah, I mean, well, he wouldn't be able to read that. I we're mean, we're but, at the point now where like there's generations of kids yes. that don't even know who the heck Greg Maddox is. As sad as that sounds, that's kind of where we are. Yeah, chicks dig the long ball. They think that like I just made that up right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, look, the, when you look at the Braves staff, there's going to be so much talk about. The battle for the number five starter. Very few teams have established number five starters. It's it's always a thing in flux. I'm more concerned about bullpen depth. I'm more concerned about guys helping set up uh, Iglesias. I'm more concerned about having depth. They want a profile too, by the way. Miss bats. This make contact and we'll make a play in the field. Yeah. That is in the Braves. They weren't necessarily all about that in the pen. It was like ground ball rate and things. I don't know. They're trying to miss bats now. Yeah, that was the Lopez thing. I thought, but now. I mean, I don't even know if he's going to be in the pen. Well, well, Miss Bats is just where we are in, yeah. in baseball That's now. That's it. That's what you're uh, after. I will say this. I mean, every rule that they came up with, and I can't believe I'm going to do this because I'm not a big fan of the commissioner. I don't think he's particularly bright. But all those rule changes that they came up with last year, and I'm not going to give him too much credit. He had people that came up with it. He's terrible. Thank you. I agree. I concur. I know, but he's terrible. I still agree. We're not arguing on this. He's given us five years advance notice that he'll leave in five years. Yeah. So, awesome. We can, he's we, better than Bud Selig. Uh, Bud never moved an all-star game out of Atlanta. I'll, mm. I'll give him that much. But, yes, I, the, look, the thing is, the, the bigger bases we had, we had there's actually action on the bases. Oh, it all worked. Absolutely. It all, yeah. the, the ways to shorten a game, which people like me have been begging for for years, and many people said, you can't mess with the big. The beauty about baseball is there's no clock. The beauty about baseball is it was dragging on, and it was not necessarily – a great product during times of no action. They needed to do the things that they did. And guess what? The players adjusted and it went just fine. So I, I am awfully happy about that much. Uh, and I'll be awfully happy to see if the Braves can make it to the next level. And I, we, again, when we talk about the spring training, I'm used to looking at guys, a, a team in spring training and going, oh man, I don't know about this position, that position. Who's going to be the closer? Who's going to uh, be the top lefty out of the book? Like all this is like settled. Like they, they they really don't have much a former to worry top about. ten prospect who can settle into maybe eight or nine, and play some left field. Like that's the like that's the big question. That's the big yeah. How it's, will he perform? It's Your basically fifth starter and the last couple of guys on the bench. That's it. That's all we're talking about here. That, that's it. I, the Braves are a known quantity, and as I said yesterday, that's why I think all of us and players wearing the uniform can feel confident in saying. 
The goal is not to get to the National League Championship Series. The goal is not to get to the World Series. The goal is to win the World Series here. Right. The goal is not to set offensive records and then hit below 200 in the first round. The the goal is to have a nice regular season again and then beat the crap out of people in the postseason. That's what the goal is. Not the last two years. So uh, 162 is a long, long grind, and people had a lot to get excited about last year. But there's still some meat left on that bone and a lot of hungry players to go to the next level. And I'll tell you, there's also a hungry rival in the Philadelphia Phillies who in the last two years have been to a World Series and lost in Game 7 in the NLCS, and they're itching to get back. Ah, They spent $300 million, and that's not who you're talking about. They spent $300 million, and they stunk. Three hundred million dollars got them an early sell-off, and ninety-some losses. Right? That's awesome. Philadelphia uh, is the rival now, right? Philadelphia is the rival, at least in this day and age and this place and time. You can say yeah. what you say about the Mets, but after what's happened in the last two postseasons, Philadelphia is yeah. the rival. Well, and before that, it was the Dodgers. I mean, yes. the, the Dodgers were the team that just kept being the thorn in the side in the postseason. It was like, well, how are we going to get past these guys? They got a blank check to spend as many hundreds of millions of dollars as they possibly can. They just spent a billion dollars. They just, they just don't care. It's silliness. It, it, the, the fact that we don't have a salary cap in Major League Baseball at this day and age, I, I get it, there's a luxury tax. When you have a Mets and a Dodgers situation where you can just double, triple payrolls of almost everybody, like that's not, that's really not great for the sport in my eyes. But thankfully... I mean, minus a uh, a COVID year title for L.A., neither one of them have really cashed in on it. So you haven't really been like. Well, that's because of Dave Roberts. He's not a very good not a big manager. man. Yeah, I I I wouldn't hire him personally. Well, <laughs> by the way, I read a story yesterday. He knows a lot about wine, though. He's a wine connoisseur. Read a story yesterday. Aaron Nola did confirm that the Braves came after him. They yeah. tried to get him away from from Philadelphia. I, I, I mean, don't it, buy the six one sixty three. I don't. It, we may get confirmation. Yeah. I may be wrong. That doesn't sound like a contract they give Aaron Nola. And that was this the story. This is not an organization that gives those kind of contracts That's, away, yeah, right? They, they could have pursued Aaron Nola. The story was the Braves at 6-163 and 163 helped him get broke off more by the Phillies. He is from Louisiana and got married here in Georgia. Well, yep. Played at LSU. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we also talked a lot of college football in the first couple hours. As you heard uh, DT mention, and we talked about before, You've got the official playoff format. It is going to be 5-7. So you've got four, the four power conferences left. And then you've got one group five that's going to get an automatic bid. I, I really think, guys, part of the reason why that was baked in, uh, there was talk that those conferences would sue on the basis of antitrust. And the other conferences like, we don't want to deal with all that. Just, just give them an automatic bid for crying out loud. So... Uh, perhaps a, a litigation avoided. Yeah, it doesn't say where you have to be seated. No, no, it does not. It does not. So, I mean, you, you, you will have a year where one of those automatic bids is not in the top 12, not in the top 10. It's going to happen, uh, but you still have seven at large. I think overall, this is about as good as we... What I've learned with college football, which is such an imperfect sport in so many ways, but we all love it to death, that we're willing to overlook the uh, obvious, uh, you know, just kind of blemishes on the record is that you have to compromise you just have to settle on some things it's never perfect it never has been uh but i think this is as good as we could get i think there's a lot of bigger uh, fish to fry with nil and the portal and how they're going to figure out to get some guardrails on that Uh, that'll be uh upcoming here 
and you've got Sankey and Petiti basically joining forces. That is that is the ultimate power play. That is that I've made the analogy. That is Denzel Washington in Training Day telling the NCAA, telling everybody else that thinks they have a big say in the sport. It's Denzel in the final scene uh, talking to all the people in that community and saying, "You guys think you run blank." I run blank. You just live here. That's what Sankey and Petiti basically told the rest of college football and college athletics. Yeah, I'm not sure anyone wants to see how the sausage is made necessarily. But much like to your point about moving in the right direction with the rule changes in Major League Baseball, more action in a shorter time frame, 12 team playoffs, more involvement, more inclusive avenues, maybe for programs that were shut out in the past. I think we are moving in the right direction on both of those fronts. Chuck? Well, I think that part of the outcome is to consolidate, not expand. And so it's funny that the word we keep using is the expanded playoffs. This is all about the Big Ten and the SEC. Oh, yeah. Just like winnowing out all Mm -hmm. the other programs. So, like, there's an end game here that's about a lot fewer teams, not a lot more. We we have technically 130 Division I FBS teams. 133 now, now, I think. Okay. But we really don't. Like, basically, the, the power conferences, and for that matter, the SEC, ACC, excuse me, SEC, Big Ten, that is the new Division 1A, uh-huh. and the Sun Belt, Conference USA, the MAC, that is now 1AA. They don't have nearly the resources. They don't have the NIO money. They don't have uh, – their top players get porched in the, uh, poached in the portal every year. That is the new 1AA. They're not going to be able to compete. The, the gap, which was always a pretty good margin – has now it's, been widened. It's a chasm. It's a brilliant job they've done, the top two conferences. Yeah. Under the banner of expansion. They're really slowly, year by year, getting their, their goal of filtering out programs. They, I mean, it, they took a circuitous route. They just filtered out Washington State and Oregon State. All right, you two, go on. Do you guys care about the travel with all this? I mean, do you guys care that UCLA is going to be traveling to Not for football, for tennis and golf and swimming and all that other stuff. Um, Here's why geography may matter, I think, more necessarily than than market size. Because if you can create a division over here for the Big Ten, like if they add, think about it, they're at 18 for this season. If they add like... Two more teams, sort of West-ish. Um, you wouldn't have to have Rutgers and USC play almost ever. Just break off in divisions. Um, and you could have almost, like back in the old day, the AFL and the NFL. So we play the same thing, but we don't play each other ever. Right. Um, and so you could have that, and you're like two teams away. For the SEC, because you're not so far flung, add a couple of more teams out in Texas and add, as you were talking about, Virginia and North Carolina, mm-hmm. what do you got? You got a 20-team league with two divisions or conferences yeah. or whatever, and then the travel. Travel doesn't matter for golf and tennis and everything. Right. Like I said, football, folks, football, it works. No matter what the economics are, if you're in the Big Ten, football works. It doesn't for tennis. You, you've been on, you guys been on a charter flight before? Luckily, Arthur Blank, okay. thank you. Okay, I, I, I have as well. I, I, I live a life now, unfortunately, of uh, commercial flights to get from – game to game to broadcast. But there was a time where I've also broadcasted for teams and lived the charter world. You folks that are worried about, like, the UCLA football team having to get on a charter flight, bypass your regular security at Hartsville, not have to deal with all that nonsense, get fed incredibly well, not have to worry about, are we really going to do the peanuts again on the plane? Is that all you have? Yes, it is, sir. 
it, it, to, to do that once a week for a weekly sport with a bye week mixed in, it, it's nothing. For, for this, Chip Kelly had it best. Football's a different animal. Yes, traveling for the other sports sucks. It sucks. And uh, for some other programs like Grambling, Hawaii, other programs that aren't of the super well heeled ilk, travel sucks. Brutal. Like you may have a game, in, you know, like you're what you're one of the thirteen schools in Texas. You got a game in Indianapolis. You may bus it. Yeah, it's not uncommon to be at the airport in Denver or DFW and see two Mountain West teams that aren't playing each other, waiting at adjoining gates to get yep. on commercial flights. I, you see it all the time. I, I was I just at a game in Fayetteville, Arkansas, a few weeks ago. Uh, it's one of those where they're like, Mr. Morgan, we'll give you an $800 voucher if you get on a later flight. Like, what do you mean? I already bought a ticket weeks ago. Are you? Did you overbook? No, sir, but we have a team traveling, mm-hmm. and we've got a lot of weight because all the baggage. Your typical non-football team, uh, smaller school team, this was like a track and field team. They've got to load all their stuff up. Oh, yeah. Go through security, go through a commercial airport, get on a Delta plane with a bunch of strangers. I mean, it's a mess. But for football and basketball, when you're living the charter flight world, Man, it's a whole different deal. Don't feel sorry for those. They they do just fine. I will say this. I don't feel sorry for them. Like I said, they still do have other concerns. And you still do have schoolwork. You still, and, and all of that, all of that, you got to stay eligible. All right? You do have to take the test and pass the test. Supposedly, yes. Um, so there are still some other demands there. Yeah. And there is the occasional kid yeah. who realizes I'm going to go pro in something other than sports. Yeah. Uh, and is, you know, kind of motivated for this. And so it's a bitch of a schedule. Again, if you're a baseball player no, and it's a nightmare, yeah, you've got the three midweek games, a complete night. I don't, I don't know how they're going to pull that off, but, here, but in football, they're going to be okay. Football's going to be great. You, you play for Penn state baseball and you've got three midweek games at nah, Nebraska. That it's, it's a mess for a sport that where most of the programs are already losing money. Football, you go there Friday, you get on the charter, you go play your game Saturday, stay at a very nice hotel. Play the game Saturday when everybody else has to, like, stay the night and then wake up in the next morning. No, they just get on the charter that night, and they go back home, and they sleep in their own bed. I did think this was interesting. This is from Dennis Dodd, and I was reading. He's got the mileage, the, the top traveling teams next year in college football. Again, you see all these West Coast schools, many of them now, have joined forces with the likes yeah, of the, the Big Ten. the time zone thing matters, by the way, oh, going that's west a, to east. That's a real thing. Not Absolutely. That's a real thing. Uh, and I wonder if some teams might even elect to leave on like a Thursday night to help adapt to that. If you're playing like a Saturday noon kick. Getting, that's, getting closer to NFL stuff. Well, we're kind of already there in a lot of ways. So number one on the travel, uh, and they, they will, when they're done, they will have – they will have traveled 89.4% of the way around the entire world. Okay, Dennis did the math on this. I'm glad he did it and I did not. UCLA, now in the Big Ten, will travel 22,275 miles. Now, they do have a trip to Hawaii. Uh, They go to LSU. And, of course, in the Big Ten, they go to Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers. Yes, you got to love the L.A. to Piscataway junket. And Washington. So the mileage total is almost five times more than the 2022 UCLA schedule. It also works out to an average road trip from Los Angeles to Montgomery, Alabama. The average from Los Angeles to Montgomery, Alabama. Number two is Cal, 
20,886 miles. They go to Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, Florida State, and Auburn. Stanford is third, 17,938 miles. Again, they're now in the ACC as well. Uh, they go 40 miles to Berkeley. That's a nice little trip. Oh, you can just you know get, get an electric car if you want to go there. Don't even have to charge it. You know what you do? You get Colorado and you get whoever else. Fill in another, and then you have your Western Division. And this used to happen again. Like, go back and look at the beginnings of baseball. You would see what became, like, the Cleveland Indians Guardians now. They were in the Federal League. They were in the International League. They were in an Outlaw League. Then they were in the American League. Like, they bounced around just like Colorado used to be in the old Big 8. And then they were in the Big 12. And then they were in the Pac-12. And now they're in the Big 12. Um, It has happened and the sport didn't end, and the team didn't fold. Stanford, Washington, Southern Cal, 13,356 miles, Oregon, 12,000, and Miami, 12,226 miles. I got that trip to Syracuse, apparently. They are uh, fueled by one of the longest trips in the country. They're going one way to Cal on October the 5th. <sighs> yeah. Auburn had that uh, funness, that late-night, um, just weird kickoff time. Um, the strange environment out there. Yeah, it's it's a little deal. People in trees throwing things that you don't want to hit you. Yeah, it's it's a unique environment to say the least. But UCLA number one, twenty two thousand two hundred seventy five miles in travel next year. Maybe Chip Kelly said, you know, I don't want all that. I'm going to Ohio State. All right, coming up next, we talk about one former local coach who is crushing it. And college hoops this season. Westy's got the details when we return on 6-8 of the Fan at 93.7 FM. Back with you here on another installment of Chuck and Chernoff. Tuesday afternoon coming up in mere moments from Northport. We'll hear from Mark Bowman covering Brave Spring Training. First, Steve West. We can get you back in the zone. Steve is uh, off on a tangent. I'm here. The history of USF football. We'll get to that some other day. But you wanted to talk about Kennesaw State and its coaching, or a former Kennesaw State coach, I should say. Yeah, uh, big college basketball fan, obviously. I was uh, courtside when Kennesaw State defeated Liberty in the championship game uh, of the Atlantic Sun tournament last year and garnered the program's first ever NCAA tournament uh, appearance. And Amir uh, Abdul Rahim, the head coach, parlayed that into the job at the University of South Florida. And Chuck, you and I were talking about this, uh, the South Florida program. They, they established a basketball program in 1972. Uh, they have three NCAA tournament appearances in their history 1990, 1992, and 2012 one victory in the NCAA tournament. So not much of a history there. Brian Gregory, who was fired from Georgia Tech, took over the program seven years ago. He goes 10 and 22 in year one, 24 and 14 in year two, and they win the CBI, which is like the third level postseason tournament. You pay tournament. to get into that. Correct. You do. But then 14 and 17, 9 and 13, 8 and 23, 14 and 18, Brian Gregory is fired, and here comes Ab- Amir Abdur Rahim. They just beat South Florida on Sunday at the uh, Yingling Center there on campus, the former Sun Dome in Tampa. The place was packed. The kids are waving the the -the glow-in-the-dark green sticks, and they take care of top 25 FAU. Uh, South Florida, Chuck, is 19-5, and and they're alone right now in first place in the American Conference in Amir Abdul-Rahim's 
first season at the helm. And it's a nice get for the athletic administration down there. The The real nice get is out of the NFL stadium to an on-campus crib that is scheduled to open in 2027. Um, they figured it out. USF figured out how to raise $80 million for a stadium and related complex. They're going to cut the ribbon. It's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be their proper size. It's going to be a, a multi-purpose facilities around it for the other buildings, but a dedicated field just for football. Uh, they decided we're going to go one way or the other with this. Um, we were talking earlier. They, they were shoulder to shoulder with uh, Central Florida coming out of the gate. Then Central Florida took off. Um, USF got serious about this. When we seen this, like Vanderbilt started finally spending money on this. Kansas spending $400 million. Um, Ole Miss champions now, $350 million. Uh, Texas A&M tore down the track and field and volleyball place because the football needs more room. Uh, so this is South Florida is trying to not only, you know, quote, keep up and South Florida is trying to really enter the game seriously for the first time. And, and football is what you have to do. Yeah. And I think Mike, there's no way that UCF is in the big 12 right now. If they didn't build that on campus stadium, if they're still playing 100%. in the old citrus bowl, they're not in the big 12, a hundred percent that combined with, uh, to go back to what Chuck was talking about, the ascension of that program I mean, they won under multiple coaches. You know, O'Leary had a good year, right? And Gus has had uh, success there. And, of course, sandwiched in between is who? We got Josh Heupel had some good years. Uh, Well, yeah, Josh, uh, it's kind of funny. Scott Frost and then way back, um, Mike Kruzak way back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking Scott Frost. But, yeah, and and Josh had success, although a lot of UCF fans, I've got a few uh, alums that are in my uh, social circle we're like, oh, Tennessee, you can take him. He didn't do what Scott Frost did. Took the athletic director too, right? Yeah, right, with Mike White. Uh, but but the thing is, is that so UCF all of a sudden has winning seasons. Both schools mirror each other in terms of like enrollments. They're commuter schools in major cities. UCF took off, went to a major conference. That was like unheard of, unfathomable back in the late 90s when they were playing in like the TAC and basketball and mm-hmm. whatever 1AA conference in football. And there's USF still going, Phew. What the hell? What about us? So the, the stadium will go a long way. The fact that they're doing anything in basketball, they have been a moribund program for yep. 30, 40 years. Uh, that, that is, you're right. That's a great coaching job by Amir for sure. Uh, we switch topics a little bit, go from the hardwood talk of more baseball. Mark Bowman has been out in Northport and will be out there for a while. I'm not sure what's in the suitcase. I'm sure like 50 uh, golf shirts, hopefully a lot of socks as well. Uh, Mark covering a whole lot of stuff, and we had a chance to chat with him about a number of things and had a chance to uh, get up to speed on everything going down in Braves country. So, Mark, how are you, sir? Good. How are you guys doing? We're we're doing great, man. We're doing great. You know, as if there wasn't enough to get excited about with the rotation and Spencer Strider, you start hearing all this talk about working on a a curveball to kind of complement the fastball and the slider. What's what's the latest on that? What is he tinkering with, and how effective do you think it'll be? Well, I mean, I think it's it's, it's good to just have something that, that gives you a little bit different look. You know, he's a fastball slider guy who, you know, he, he has proven he can be successful with those two pitches. He's tinkered with a changeup. It really doesn't fit his, you know, the changeup is – it's been effective here and there. It's just always going to probably be inconsistent because of his frame, his delivery, his release point, his approach. It just—it's not that pitch for him. So 
the natural thing to do is just sit here, just tinker with, you know, what, what do I do? What a pressure point here with the fingers. You know, I'm going to move this finger here, put the pressure point here. It's just something he's toying with now. I'll tell you what, that first curveball I saw yesterday looked like a guy who's been throwing it for four, five, six years. It's not a, it's not a new pitch. So I do think we'll see it a little bit. You know, he's still bread and butter, fastball slider, but, uh, you know, all of a sudden, instead of looking for, you know, 87, something hard, 85, 87 slider, now all of a sudden there's a chance that something's going to drop in at 80, you know, 78, 82, with much more of a 12 to 6 o'clock type hook. When the hitter sees this, Mark, is it going to be a slider that looks like a curveball or is it going to be a curveball that looks like a slider? i tell you what, the first one I saw yesterday, it looked like a curveball. There was definitely a difference, you know, with the ones that I saw yesterday. So I don't think this is necessarily, you know, like he said, maybe you've read what he said, whether you call it a slurve, a curve, a slider, you know, this one had much. It's not. Okay. I'm going to take it back. It's not exactly 12 to 6, but it has much more of that look than that straight across uh, slider that we've seen that, that's been so effective for him over the last couple of years. B- bottom line is it's less velo than a slider. So it's it's more of a differentiation from a fastball that's blazing in the upper 90s to a slower right, curveball. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that you, you could see why that would certainly help add to an already dominant starter. He is, he is Mark Bowman of MLB.com joining us here on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker Live. A very good idea for eight spots in the in a normal lineup, what it's going to be like. Uh, tell me what Jared Kelnick really can be, because if it's any version for the other eight guys and then you add a legit major league stick, especially one that lives up to any sort of his thoughts from a year, two, three ago, tell me what you think he really can be at this stage. I'd say this. He's going to be a better defensive player than Eddie Rosario, and he can provide similar power, a little bit more consistency. The concern with Jared Kelnick is the strikeout numbers, whether lefty, you know, facing fellow left-handers or going up and having a right-handed versus left-handed matchup. The strikeout numbers, both of them, I specific numbers I don't remember, but both of them are around, you know, anywhere from 28 to 32 uh, percent. For, for that to be okay, that, that – He's got to be closer to a 30 home run guy. Um, right now, I'd say last year we're looking at a guy who was going to hit 20 homers if he doesn't take out his frustration on that water cooler and break his foot. Um, here's a guy that's going to sit in the bottom lineup, whether he bats seventh, eighth, ninth. There's not going to be a lot of pressure on him. I see a guy who is really just blended in here in the clubhouse. Uh, really well. It's it's kind of funny. Yeah, we're looking at him. Yeah, he's the new guy. But you got Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, and Austin Riley. Uh, just you've got three MVP candidates there, and then you're just saying, oh, you know, Michael Harrison getting his attention. I tell you what, this was the perfect spot for a guy like Jared Kelnick, who was the number four prospect in the game not too many years ago. Yeah, they missed with the prospect list and that kind of stuff. But this is legit power. We're seeing the BP power right now. Over the next few weeks, it's going to be interesting to get a better feel for at the same time. What he does down here doesn't necessarily matter. Um, you know, what he does once uh, that regular season begins, if he can be that guy that hits 230 with 25 homers, um, gets on base, it's, you know, with a 350 clip, whatever, um, you know, that, that, that's 
that's the kind of guy that, that uh, I'd say he's going to provide you more value than you got from Eddie Rosario. Mark, when you, when you look at this projected lineup, and, and there's really not – this is not your typical club going to spring training where there's a lot of positional battles going on. You, you just don't have that, which is probably a good thing. It's, it's continuity on a team that's been winning a lot of games over the last few years. So it's going to be the same familiar names, Acuna, Albies, Riley, Olsen, Azuna – Harris, et cetera, you got two good catchers, which is rare for any team in, in the bigs. And you just mentioned Kelnick. Here's my question for you. When, when you look at last, the last two postseasons and you look at last year in a team that was rolling all year long, set all kinds of offensive records and hits under 200 against the Phils in the opening round, uh, is there a dog on, uh, on this roster? And, and really, you don't just want it on the mound. You really need somebody in that in that dugout the entire game that's that's going to be have a little of those jock peterson type intangibles who is that guy because on the surface it seems like a a number of really professional kind of mild-mannered guys which can be a good thing but is there anybody there that can kind of serve that role um yeah i mean it's tough to 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 find that one guy in that in that lineup that it's going to be uh just like jock peterson i am i'm you know, there are a lot of nice guys that, you know, the one guy that, um, you know, the leader of that clubhouse is Travis Darno. I mean, he, he certainly can ha- impact that that clubhouse in a lot of ways. Um, I do think that Ozzy has, you know, it, it, he's been around as long as anybody. He has that ability to maybe be that guy to, to bring a little bit of that attitude. Uh, maybe it's, you know, we, we saw it even during the Maddox, Clavin, Smoltz, Chipper years. It was, you know, Chipper was always a leader. Chipper was always a clubhouse leader, but it just it, it takes time to just take on more of a, a role. Sometimes the older guys have to to get out of the way, and I think that's what we're seeing here with with Ozzy. Uh, maybe maybe he takes that step forward. But yeah, I, I think uh, you know I alluded to that today in, in my newsletter. I was thinking that um, you know last year with the Orlando Arcia thing, um, you know everyone the, the Orlando's response was. I didn't know the media was going to write that I said, attaboy, Harper. You know what? I get it. You could be mad and all that kind of stuff, but the response should have been, I said it. Who cares? What's the big deal? Not, I didn't know they were going to say that. You know what? Just be, just be that guy that be that a-hole and say, I don't care what you think, you know, and and, and just go ahead and, 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 and bring a little attitude to the park. Last one for me, Mark. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez, there's no doubt he's a guy that's going to make the Braves' bullpen better, but we're also hearing that possibly he could be considered for the starting rotation. How do you see his role going forward here for the Atlanta Braves? I'll be honest with you. Up until about a week or so ago, I was assuming he was going to be an eighth-inning guy, but the more I started talking to folks, it, I, was, I quickly changed my tune. I said I was completely wrong. I was. Uh, it sounds like you know they're going to do more than just stretch him out. Uh, he's going to be given every shot in the world uh, to begin that se- begin the season in the fifth spot. Um, I think he's a guy who could give them, you know, they, they would love for him to give 20-plus starts in that role, you know, and maybe, maybe late in the season you start transitioning him uh, depending on how Ian Anderson's doing, how Bryce Elder's throwing, you know, where, where Chris Sale's workload is. It's nice to keep Lopez stretched out as an option as long as you can, knowing those all, those guys can also fill rotation spots. Um, but I, I do see Lopez being uh, beginning of the year in the rotation. 
but at the same time, if they get to October and and uh, in the playoffs, I see him being a seventh or eighth inning guy. Mark, you hit on a name I wanted to ask you about. I, I've said on record, I, I don't care what Chris Sale does in April and May. I, I really want to see Chris Sale in primo condition come the postseason because he can be an absolute difference maker in that spot. We know the age. We know the injuries. So what is the mindset on how to use him in spring training in the early months of the year and even beyond? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When The first day they got him, you know, the question to Alex was, they, they, Alex made sure to, to say that, you know, this we got him to be a difference maker in October. How do you get him to October? That's the question. First time we asked, said, you know, is there any thought of, you know, having him start the season on the injured list or something like that, you know, you have him sit for the first two months of the season. You know, Alex said no to that. So, you know, I, and I, I meeting Chris Sale, I don't think he's going to agree to that either. As long as he's healthy, he wants to be throwing. Now, one more, you know, could you go ahead and just say he's going to throw, you know, three and four innings uh, in his first four or five starts there in April, then you're up to four to five innings per start. Um, or do you, do you, you know, every time there's a next, uh, an opportunity to give him an extra day of rest, they certainly will do that. Uh, he's going to throw less in between starts. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 he threw 102 innings last year. You know, you look at how, what, where can you get to that point to where he's going to be fresh enough to give you 20 to 25 innings in October if necessary. Um, you know, I, I don't think you're wanting him to throw more than a total of 150 innings next year. So how they manage his workload from April through October will be very interesting. Obviously, you're going to, you know, take off the reins a little bit maybe in September just to let him amp up. But, um, you know, exactly how they manage that workload while making sure they don't overtax the bullpen uh, is going to be very interesting. Final minute with Mark Bobin of MLB.com. It's real easy to forget Bryce Elder was an all-star last year. Obviously, the second half did not work out that way. You, you talked about the battle for the number five spot. Where, where is he now? I mean, is that just a classic case of a young guy being extended more than he had and maybe hitting a bit of a wall? Or do they believe he can still be a, a contributor, a major contributor this year? I think they, they have to. If you, if you know Bryce Elder, I think you've got to understand that, that he, you know, there's not going to be any metrics or analytics. Anything's going to jump out the page and say he's that guy. He wasn't that guy coming out of high school where nobody wanted him except all of a sudden his high school coach got, you know, became a coach for an all-star game and the University of Texas lost a bunch of guys that year and they gave him a chance. He wasn't that guy necessarily that big draft choice you know he's fifth rounder there with the Braves but he's in the majors a couple of years later he's a guy that when when people have doubted him he's found a way to succeed last year I do think he fatigued you know I think that was obvious I think he he was there was a point in time there in in June where he had a big start against the Phillies and Bryce Harper was praising him and and all even with the change up and all this kind of stuff he went through that first half that was legit the, the second half uh, that was legit fatigue. You know, he, he did hit a wall at the end of his first full professional season or big league season. And, uh, you know, he grew from it. The one thing you're not going to do is is phase uh, Bryce Elder. He, he's, uh, you know, we all, all of us have been around athletes where you just kind of understand they got that, maybe that little extra edge, you know. Maybe he's never an all-star again, but at the same time, he has that mental edge that, 
that I think is going to allow him to, to have some level of success at the big league level for many years to come. Mark, you're our all-star. You've given us a mental edge with some of that knowledge from spring training. Keep up the good work. We'll talk to you down the road. All right, guys. Take care. Hey, is Mark Bowman of MLB.com. Does outstanding work covering the Braves all season long. And a good friend of ours here at 680 The Fan. Coming up, unfinished business. Taylor Swift actually lost at something. We find out what next. We all know Chuck has a lot of random thoughts throughout the show. Why don't you have him cutting his penis off then, huh? And Matt likes to tell crappy jokes no one understands. Chuck, all due respect, what the f*** are you doing? So now, it's time to circle back on some stuff we didn't get to the bottom of. Why, 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 why? We now present to you Unfinished Business on Chuck and Chernoff. Welcome back, 680 The Fan, 93.7 FM. We're going to... Wrap up some business here and going back to back in time with Nick and Chris. Talked about Rihanna. She turned 36 today. Her net worth of $1.4 billion. And Chris had brought up the idea of what Taylor Swift is compared to Rihanna. Yeah. Taylor Swift, only $1.1 billion. So wow. Rihanna actually worth $300 million more. That's pretty surprising. And she's only two years older. I, I, I mean, I remember when Rihanna was the Taylor Swift. She had a good run. It wasn't like a two-year stretch. It was... Mm several years but i didn't know again taylor swift is not my genre i I didn't know that if she had surpassed every the way they talk about her i would have thought maybe she made more rihanna got the super bowl bump and taylor swift has not right correct that's right and so maybe there's that like the nfl got the taylor bump good call but when you do like usher just got the super bowl bump everybody gets super bowl bump that's why you do it hell i think maroon five got a super bowl bump yikes um, so one other thing that we were talking about earlier is it's Kurt Cobain's birthday. And, Chuck, you brought up the fact that maybe Kent Merker threw a no-hitter potentially on that day. Ah! You nailed it. April 8th, 1984, and did so against the Dodgers. We should linger on this a little bit. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> that was really good. That yeah. was really good. The exact, the exact day. Yeah. And you mentioned the other no-hitter. Was it one of the two? So he did have one other one, but it wasn't a solo no Oh, no. He I was with that. Alejandro Pena and, and Derek nope. no, and, and, a, and a third mystery break. Mark Wollers. Wollers. Mark Wollers. Yes. I, was gonna let, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want out all the right answers. <laughs> that was September of 91, as I, I recall. I did That's mention correct. that. Uh, but the fact that Chuck would remember... <laughs> A no-hitter on the date Kurt Cobain. That is a, that's a, a rare Quinella right there. To, uh, Chuck, do you remember when on. you were doing that day by chance? Oh, I was watching the Braves game, and I remember, like, why are you interrupting my brain? Oh, God. Oh, never mind. Uh-oh. Oops. What my the, bad. What were the rest of you guys doing? Not necessarily that particular oh, no, day. It, but was just... a fr- it was a Friday night. I was yeah, at man. home. I was a I was teaching high school coaching football, and I was at home on a Friday watching Braves baseball. What year was it again? This is uh, April 1994. All right, so I'm in college. There's no telling what I'm doing. I, I probably don't want to know, nor do I want to reveal it here on the show. But, but please, move on. Westy, how about you? April 1994, what were you up to? Uh, the fall Westy of was 94. Bunny Ranch and, uh, um, that was the summer in Mexico City, right? <laughs> I was living with my girlfriend in a condo she had just gutted and renovated off Powers Ferry Road. Uh, we were talking about that. The Falcons played in the NFL Hall of Fame game that summer. Uh, June Jones, first year, seven and nine. Is she the one that gave you the Ed Hardy draws? Uh, no, that's a different girl. That's that more recent. It? More recent, yeah. But that's where I was in 94. What was I driving? Uh, red RX-7 Turbo. Oh, I, I had one of those. Wait, I, Mazda? Yes. I had that same car. I had an 87 yeah. Red Turbo. Camaro. Yeah. I had the same car. 
Mazda. Last time I owned a Mazda. Probably will be the last time I owned the a Mazda. The rotary engine. <laughs> One of the other things we were talking about is the uh, Fort Bragg game that the Braves were a part oh, of. Oh, I was so, way off on this. July 3rd, 2016, Fort Bragg hosted the Braves and the Marlins. Yeah. The Marlins wound up winning that game 5-2. to two. It was the first regular season professional sporting event ever held on an active military base and the first MLB game played in North Carolina. And then after the game, the grandstands were removed and the field became a multi-use sporting ground. And then, if I recall, it kind of took off from there where we had we're on, you know, carrier boats and all that sort of stuff or college hoops. And it's yeah, yeah. it's really taken uh, off. It's really then. cool. I got to tell you what when. when when Chuck looked at me serious as cancer and said, Augusta, I started thinking, did I forget a Braves game in Augusta? Yeah, I would know it was at a military base. Yeah. They played them. Didn't they play a, they play a major league uh, game at the Little League World Series place? Williamsport? Yeah, they do yeah. that every year now. Yeah. So yeah. they they go to very non-traditional major yeah. league settings. Um, Just not Augusta. Not for the Braves. <laughs> I was way off. I was, I was a, I was a state off because like Augusta's right there near the South Carolina border, and then you get right across into North Carolina. So I was a state off. Augusta has the Green Jackets, right? That's the minor league team. Yeah. Yeah. And in Columbus, my first start uh, in play-by-play was for the Red Sticks, and Columbus then lost the team, got a team back, lost the team, got a team back. There was a rumor the Is Braves that Golden Park. That's right. There was a mo- rumor that the Braves are going to move their AAA from Absolutely. Mississippi to back to Golden Park. Double and, A. I'm sorry, Double yeah, A. Yeah, yeah Gwinnett's Triple A. They were going to move their Double A to Golden Park, which I think would be great for the city of Columbus. And then now the question is, is Columbus going to come up with the money? Yeah, Columbus, so, it's a stadium. It's historic. Been there forever, which is either good or bad. Yes. Sometimes it's a pitch. Sometimes it's not. But, uh, yeah, they used to have the Columbus Astros way back in the day. Glenn and the Red Sticks. There. And, absolutely, yep. yeah. Yep. When I did it, it was uh, the Indians. Russell Brandion caught a lot of his home runs back in the day. Anyway, I digress. So we got a lot of responses for our winging it question earlier today, Was which is what is the ballpark stadium arena you haven't been to but need to go to? So stop me if you've been or want to go to one of these stadiums. Uh, Eddie says the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Jerry World. Any You, you guys been there at all? Called a Dallas Cowboy game there two years ago. Is it worth the, is it worth the trip, or is it just kind of that big commercial? Uh, honestly, it? it's just massively big. I, I think yeah. SoFi Stadium is more impressive. I haven't been to Vegas' stadium. I hear that is more impressive. Jerry World is just huge. Jerry World is now, what, 16 or 17 years old? I remember the Falcons played on a Monday night game there the very first year it was open. It's been surpassed by the new stadiums, including yeah. Mercedes-Benz here in Atlanta, in my opinion. Business. And One more! Uh, Dodger Stadium, Big House, Love Fenway, it. Mariners Ballpark, okay. Nelson Mandela Stadium, Rose Bowl. That's all we got. Fenway is the best. Rose Bowl is still on my bucket list. Rose Bowl Field, it's right down. Not that one. No. Different one. Our thanks again. Brian Gebhardt, Cohen Madden, Derek Thomas. You all are terrific putting up with me. Steve West, Chuck Oliver, Mike Morgan filling in for Matt Chernoff. We'll do it again tomorrow. We'll join you after the clubhouse report at 2.30. So long, everybody. A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. 
First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 937 FM or download the Fan app. A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.